Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. This week we have a guest essay by Edwina Gately. Gately's journey has led her to teaching in Africa, founding volunteer missionary movement, sojourning in the Sahara Desert, spending nine months of prayer in a trailer in the woods, befriending and ministering to street people and women in prostitution, and preaching the good news that God is with us. Edwina is a poet, theologian, artist, writer, lay minister, modern-day mystic, prophet, and a single mom. She gives talks, conferences, and retreats in the United States, as well as internationally, while continuing to reach out to women in recovery from drugs and prostitution. I encourage you to visit her website, edwinagately.com. Her essay is for Pentecost Sunday, May the 19th, 2013. We read in Acts 2.17, In the days to come, it is the Lord who speaks, I will pour out my spirit, on humankind. I know someone who had a Pentecost experience, but it was not in an upper room, or any kind of room for that matter. It was in a broom closet in a homeless shelter in California. Her name was Breezy. That was a street name she was given because of the speed with which she moved from man to man working as a prostitute on the streets and down the back alleys. Twenty-three years of prostitution and drugs had left their mark on Breezy. Her face was scarred, her body battered, her spirit dead. The broom closet was her own personal tomb. Breezy huddled within its cramped walls for three days and three nights. She had arrived exhausted, beaten, to the shelter. It was full, so she crept into the closet where, as time passed, she was forgotten by the stressed-out shelter staff. Breezy had given birth three days earlier. Her tiny daughter was born, shuddering and jaundiced from drugs. She was taken away by the hospital emergency staff to be given medical attention and placed for adoption. Breezy staggered off into the night to the shelter in the broom closet. On the third day she awoke, hungry and devastated by the memory of the baby she had birthed and lost. In the cramped darkness of the closet, Breezy sobbed in shame and horror. Broken and helpless, for the first time in many years, she began to pray. In between her sobs, she asked God for forgiveness from God and from her baby. And then something happened. It was like a stone being rolled away. It was like a dense darkness being pierced by a brilliant light. It was a Pentecostal experience, 
a breaking through of energy and fire into a dead soul. Something happened, and it was so powerful that Breezy crept out of the broom closet, determined to find her way home to Chicago and to live a different life. And she did just that. She sought counseling and healing and entered a program of recovery. It was a long and painful process, letting go forever of 23 years of violence, drugs, and prostitution. There had to be some sort of funeral for Breezy, for the woman she had been and the only woman she knew. So the staff and residents of the recovery program gathered in their small garden and, standing in a circle, they dug a hole, placed a stone within it, and bade farewell to Breezy, prostitute, addict, and convicted felon. Breezy was buried. And in that simple and symbolic ritual, Brenda was born. Claiming her birth name, she came into the dawn of a new life. It was to be a life of the spirit. It was to be a life led by God, where Brenda would become a healer of those broken and battered, as she once had been. The Epistle to the Romans tells us that we are all children of God, and we have all been given the gift of the Spirit. But maybe we first have to know what it is to be utterly broken before we become truly conscious of the power of the healing Spirit of God. One way or another, we are all a little dead. Life does that to us as we falter and become weary on the journey. Few of us experience the drama and devastation of Brenda's life, but we need to hear about it as a contemporary Pentecostal story. We also need to hear about it that we might be affirmed and encouraged in our own struggles to be faithful children of God, gifted with the Holy Spirit, no matter how deeply repressed and hidden within us. Brenda did not simply have a Pentecostal experience. She went on to live a resurrection life, dedicated to her sisters on the streets prostituting, addicted, and soul dead. Her healing presence is powerful because she knows all about tombs and dying. She was dead, and now she's alive. She was lost, and now she's found. And no one ever again can deprive her of the inner dignity and joy of knowing who she is, the daughter of God and sister of Jesus, the one who declared to the gathering of the fearful disciples, whoever believes in me will perform the same works as I do, and even greater works. And so, on many nights on the dark streets of Chicago when most of us are sleeping, the voice of Brenda can be heard echoing the words of Jesus and declaring to her sisters, Come, there is life. There is hope outside this darkness. Come. And they do come. And so, we must too.
Edwina Gately for Pentecost Sunday. For books this week, I review a title by John Collins. It's called The Dead Sea Scrolls, a biography. Princeton University Press, 2013, 272 pages. In late 1946, three Bedouin shepherds found seven ancient scrolls in a cave at a place called Qumran, nine miles south of Jericho and 13 miles east of Jerusalem, near the northwest corner of the Dead Sea. Their accidental discovery turned out to be one of the greatest and most controversial archaeological discoveries in modern times. Eventually, 972 manuscripts and fragments were found in 11 caves, all within a radius of about two miles. About 200 of the scrolls were manuscripts from every book of the Bible except Esther, including the earliest known manuscript of the entire book of Isaiah, which turned out to be a thousand years older than any previous complete manuscript of Isaiah. The so-called Copper Scroll describes 200 tons of gold and silver hidden in 64 sites around the countryside. Other scrolls are liturgical in nature. Some scrolls are well-preserved. Others are so fragile that they would disintegrate if you handled them. The Qumran site itself was subsequently excavated and contained troves of ancient treasure, coins, pottery, cloth, rope, baskets. The relationship between the site and the scrolls remains a matter of debate and conjecture. Next to the excavated site is a cemetery with over a thousand graves, which graves present a whole set of problems on their own about how to interpret. Most scholars now understand Qumran to be the site of the Essene community of sectarian Jews, referred to by Philo, Josephus, and Pliny the Elder. The scrolls and the Qumran site have now been dated to the last two centuries before the Christian era and to the first century of the Christian era, which of course is a tantalizing time period for Jews and Christians alike. Virtually everything about the scrolls has been controversial. Their discovery occurred just before the formation of the State of Israel in 1948. Publication and availability to the scholarly public has taken over 50 years. Careers have been ruined. Principal players have died. Lawsuits have, made, have been made and appealed and charges of plagiarism have dogged some of the publications. John Collins, professor of Old Testament studies at Yale, has written a readable, reliable, and fair-minded account of the Dead Sea Scrolls. He lets even the most bizarre theories have their say, but he always indicates where and why evidence is inconclusive and explanations are speculative. At the end of each chapter, he provides brief suggestions for further reading.
This is the seventh book in a series of 21 biographies of great religious books by Princeton University Press. It's called Lives of Great Religious Books. It's a series of short volumes that recount the complex and fascinating histories of important religious texts from around the world. The volumes pair leading experts with classic texts and are written for a general audience. In earlier reviews for Journey with Jesus, I've covered Augustine's Confessions by Gary Wills, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Letters and Papers from Prison by Martin Marty, and The Book of Mormon by Paul Gutjahr. And this one, once again, the Dead Sea Scrolls, a biography. The author, John C. Collins. For movies this week, I review a film from 2012 called Side Effects. According to the New Yorker magazine, Director Steven Soderbergh has made 26 movies in 24 years. This psychothriller begins as a study of mental illness and clinical depression and what it does to a marriage. For the last hour of the movie, Soderbergh piles on layer after layer of complexity, which is a nice way of saying that the movie begins in one place and ends in a very different one. There's addiction to prescription medications, medical misconduct and malpractice, patient transfer, big pharma and the toxic side effects of its drugs, advertising, the conflicts of interest between medicine and corporations, the legal system, ruined families and careers, and, at the end of the day, a financial scam. Interestingly, Soderbergh, who was just 50 years old, says this is his last film and that he's now turning to painting. Side Effects by the director Steven Soderbergh. And for Pentecost Sunday, we've posted a poem by Hildegard of Bingen. Hildegard of Bingen lived from 1098 to 1179. In an age when life expectancy was somewhere around 40, <coughs> she lived a life that was remarkably long and incredibly productive. One, one scholar called Hildegard of Bingen an uber-multitasking frau and polymath. She was a Benedictine abbess who founded two convents, conducted four preaching tours, penned at least 400 letters, wrote music and a morality play, supervised illuminated manuscripts, cared for her fellow sisters, and wrote three major theological tomes based upon her famous visions. All this despite her pronounced feelings of self-doubt, lack of formal schooling, chronic illnesses that probably included depression and migraine headaches, and the subservient roles assigned to women 
by a male-dominated church and culture. For Pentecost Sunday, Hildegard of Bingen, O Comforting Fire of Spirit. O comforting fire of spirit, life, within the very life of all creation, holy you are in giving life to all. Holy you are in anointing those who are not whole. Holy you are in cleansing a festering wound. O sacred breath, O fire of love, O sweetest taste in my breast, which fills my heart with a fine aroma of virtues. O most pure fountain, through whom it is known that God has united strangers and inquired after the lost. O breastplate of life and hope of uniting all members as one. O sword belt of honor, enfold those who offer blessing. Care for those who are imprisoned by the enemy and dissolve the bonds of those whom divinity wishes to save. O mightiest path which penetrates all from the height to every earthly abyss, you compose all, you unite all. Through you cloud streams, ether flies, stones gain moisture, waters become streams, and the earth exudes life. You always draw out knowledge, bringing joy through wisdom's inspiration. Therefore, praise be to you, who are the sound of praise and the greatest prize of life, who are hope and richest honor, bequeathing the reward of life. Hildegard of Bingen. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net. For Sunday, May the 19th, Pentecost, I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.